This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Binge Boys is a podcast playing in your ears right now. I'm Hal Rudnick, and across from me on the Zoom, Lon Harris. Lon, how's that beard? How's that beard life? Love beard life. I like, you know, I feel like salt and pepper beard. I get more respect from people now that there's white in the beard. That's my favorite flavor of kettle chips, salt and pepper beard. Salt and pepper beard. It's salt and pepper, little bit of beard trimmings just mixed in, just for a little, just for texture. Mm-hmm. Not so much flavor, just for texture. Yeah, like a crunch, but instead yeah. of a crunch, <laughs> it's a, a weird hair it's, in your yeah, mouth. It has occasional hair. You know what I saw? I I don't know. Oh, I do remember why I was looking this up. Uh, It's because their website is hiring writers. And I always, anytime there's like a writer, I always click to see like, what are they paying their their writers? Whatever. Uh, Bob Vila. So I clicked through because Bob Vila has a whole website operation now or whatever. Hiring writers. This old house fame, Bob Vila. You know Bob Vila, the home restoration guy, like kind of the first guy in that whole Genre, the like, let's fix your house. The grandfather of uh, DIY. Yeah, like let's hey, let's show you how to build something, y'all. Awkward yes. fuck. Um, so <laughs> I saw that on his Twitter, he has in his bio the original salt and pepper beard, and it's like, first oh. of all, let me stop you right there, Mister Vila. No, you weren't, because that's just the thing that happens to human males. <laughs> Anybody with facial hair, once you hit a certain age, I've said human males. I don't even mean to gender this thing. If you have hair on your face and you pass a certain age, there's going to be a mixture of uh, of white in it, probably. Mm-hmm. Most people, at some point, your facial hair goes gray. It's just part of part of living. Mm-hmm. I don't think Bob Vila has any claim to this. That's uh, that's God, my friend. God yeah. did that. Um, probably a salt and pepper beard before him, like maybe Ulysses S. Grant. I think you could probably go back further. Yahweh, that's where you could go back all the way to. Yeah. The original beard. I mean, Jesus was 33. Jeez, bringing it down right away. Spoiler alert. If there was any gray in that beard at all, it was a very little light spattering at that point. He died and rose. I don't think he was around the second time uh, long enough. I mean, listen, I'm not saying those old depictions of Jesus of Nazareth are accurate. They make him look like, you know, a white guy. But when you ever get yeah. pictured Jesus... He does have a beard, but it's 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 bright brown, like yeah. a shining, like no, no, no white in that at all. I'm saying our Lord. Oh, like okay. old man, robe, white beard, but at some point it was it was salt and pepper. Sure. Like on the third day, you know, when he's still creating like white or whatever. I don't the animals of the field, what I don't know. I mean, yes, the God often depicted in that story. Jew God. The one God. Listen, folks, what I'm saying is the one true God. But I <laughs> All right, I'm going to uh <laughs> If you're listening to this, I need you to know you whether you like it or not, Yahweh is your Lord and we are his chosen people. I think God could be genderless. I think God <laughs> can be a state of mind. I think God can be an orb, an orb of light. That's it does. Uh, it's just I'm making fun of it. It's, it's I know. Not, it's not but back to the point, Bob Vila, you know, get your shit together, dude. What the, what the fuck? This is yeah. the most presumptuous. Like, we're in a world where, you know, the, they'll be like, I'm the self-proclaimed king of pop. Like, that's a that's a lot. That's a bit much. But even that is mm-hmm. not like taking credit for something that 
nature does. Yeah, uh, this old house, more like this old fucking liar. This old blowhard. Yup. I'm glad we finally took Bob Vila down a peg or two. Yeah. That Who's guy, the- just, jeez, enough already. Who's the guy from Extreme Home Makeover? I don't fucking know. What do I look like? Is he one of the property brothers? I have no fucking idea. I don't know. Oh, man. You know what? I'm going to look this up. First of all, I live in Los Angeles and I'm a writer. I'm never going to own a home. (laughs) Why would I watch any of that stuff? That, to me, watching a, like, how to, you know, build a fucking gazebo in your backyard, I might as well watch Star Trek. It's that far out for me. I'm more likely to blast into space next to Jeffrey fucking Bezos than, like, need to refurbish my kitchen. Can you do me one favor? Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Because I have a vision of you and I residing in Binge Boy's castle one day. <laughs> We're gonna- it's like a TikTok mansion, but it's for our podcast. It's kind of like the Magic Castle in Los Angeles. <laughs> oh, that would be the saddest version of like a TikTok house or a Vine house. would be like a podcast house, and it's just like groups of two guys. Yes. <laughs> you and I will live there like, like, like two bunk weird beds. Charles Foster Canes. Yeah. Oh, man, that's grim. I hope that never happens. I would rather never have a house than that. Ty Pennington, by the way. I honestly have never heard that name before. You'd know him if you saw him. No, I don't think I would. He got in trouble for driving under the influence a few years ago, and there was a weird mugshot of him out there. There's one guy I care about who carries a two-by-four. His name's Buford Pusser. If you're not him, I don't give a shit. Oh, Walking Tall, the Thank sheriff in well Walking done. Tall. Yes, good sir. job, Hal. Well, good for you. Uh, honestly. Portrayed by The Rock. You're right that the character is portrayed by The Rock and, in the remake, formerly. but they rename him Chris Vaughn. What? Joe Don Baker in the original Walking Tall. Buford Pusser was a real guy. Oh, wow. Walking Tall is loosely inspired by a true story, and so... Joe Don Baker's playing a real guy. They changed so much of it for the remake with Johnny Knoxville and The Rock that they were like, oh. they give him a totally different backstory, oh, and it's man. a guy named Chris Vaughn. But, uh, yeah, Buford Pusser was the real guy. He was a pro wrestler who retired and became a sheriff. Why do I know so much about this? It's fucking weird. Yeah, if, if you're interested in a fun, weird 70s, yeah, weird I, I really movie, like the original Um With Joe Don Baker. Joe Don Baker was, uh, was also in Cape Fear and uh, a bunch of other things. It's a fun Mitchell. One. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Classic mystery science theater. All right, Lon, we'll talk more about um, Mitchell. This d- Mitchell and this dream of mine, <laughs> us living in a weird... Uh, just oh, like, God, decrepit. this is a nightmare you had, and you thought it was a dream. I mean, think like uh, Grey Gardens. <laughs> yeah, that's right, exactly. Which one of us is Little Edie, uh, and which one of us is Big Edie? We'll, we'll draw straws. Maybe All right, we'll turns. figure that out. I feel like you've got... You've you've got little Edie energy. I've got big little Edie energy. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you in like you know with a with a handkerchief like around your head a few oh, yes. times doing it in a, a, yeah, in a garden. Dance. I could see yes. this. Wow, that's oh, my creepy. God. All right, let's talk about the news. Let's let do your little noise. Lon in the news. I can't ever talk about news without somebody now doing the did it did it did it did it sound. Even in polite conversation, if somebody's like, "Did you see that thing about Congress?" They have to be like, "Did it did it did it did." Yes, I did. And here's what I think. Uh, so the Emmy Awards, let's talk about those. The second most glamorous night in Hollywood. Hollywood's, eh, I think third, maybe third or fourth. Yeah. The American Music Awards, very glamorous. Uh, so <laughs> it was a big year for a lot of shows, but especially there were a few shows that last year's Emmys didn't get around to. The timing was off, the pandemic, COVID threw everything off. So we had a few shows like I May Destroy You and Ted Lasso that didn't quite make the cut last time, but were sort of making up for lost time and, and honoring them this year, including Lasso. Uh, the most nominated freshman comedy of all time with 20 Whoa. nominations. How about it? The previous record holder, this record was set in 2010. Mm-mm. The previous first year comedy series got 19 nominations mm. in its first year. How name that series? I am going with 30 Rock. It's a good guess. I believe 30 Rock debuted a few years earlier than 2010. The answer is Glee, Fox's Glee. In its first year, 19 Emmy nominations. That was the record holder, but has now been topped. Amazingly, seven, seven Ted Lasso cast members are nominated for Emmys. That's crazy. 
That's Shout a huge out to number. my old pal Brendan Hunt, who received. Oh, he's one of them. One of the uh, he's one of the co-creators of the show and received yeah. the best supporting actor nomination. He did. Brendan, That's an old improv pal of mine. Uh, good work, brother. I had not seen it until recently. I watched it because we did uh, we did the honest trailer on it last week. Yes. Uh, I liked it. The performers are the best part. Obviously, the yeah. acting, the ensemble is what sells it, and they're all very charming people. I was happy to see a lot of those nominations. I thought they were very good. The show, eh, it's okay. I've been watching it recently because uh, bringing up my wife again, uh, she loves it. Sure. And I've enjoyed it. I think, you know, everybody is fun to watch. The conceit that they would bring in an American football coach to coach a soccer team, it's just like, that's a lot for me to swallow. Did you notice there is a classic film that has this exact same story where the owner of a team purposefully brings in a terrible coach that they think is going to ruin the season. Major League? On The answer is Major League, exactly. Yeah. I think my biggest problem with it is everything is so easy. Everything is resolved so easily. Like the Rebecca in the show, Mm -hmm. she's the villain, but she basically gives up on her evil scheme immediately. Everybody who's a mean person or a bully or a sourpuss, like, it takes almost nothing to turn them around. Like, a food basket. Like, it's such a fantasy. On some level, it struck me as kind of a juvenile fantasy. Like, of course, everybody wishes the world was this way. And if somebody's being an asshole to you, just being nice to them in response would be like... It reminds me of, like, when you've got a bully at school and your parents are just like, you know, they're just jealous of you. (laughs) I bet if you're just, like, if you just ignore them, they'll stop. And then, like, you try that, and then they just keep bullying you anyway, and it doesn't work. That's what Ted Lasso reminds me of. It's like, this would be great if I'd never lived on Earth and had no idea what people are really like. I would really enjoy this. Yeah, ignore the bully, and then uh, five wedgies and six swirlies later. Uh, But dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Dress for the world you want. (laughs) I like, uh, you know, the positivity of the show is very lovely. Jason Sudeikis is great in it. Jason Sudeikis is great. They're all, listen, they're all terrific. They're all very good. I like every cast member. I think they're all doing a very good job. It's such a sitcom world that 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 sort of took me out of it. I mean, yeah, Lon, it's crazy that that show isn't like real life. I don't care that 30 Rock is not like real life because it's just supposed to be funny. Ted Lasso is trying to teach you a lesson. Like Ted Lasso is trying to be instructive, but it can't. you can't take it seriously because it's in a silly fictional sitcom world where everybody's basically good and you just have to like get them the right snack food from their home country. And they're like, oh, right. I, we're best <laughs> friends. I forgot that I am in love with you. These are my favorite biscuits. Yeah, so it's just that simple. In Ted Lasso world, it's always just like, get somebody a really tasty, sweet treat. And like, it would be great if the world was like that. I want to live in that world, mostly because I like when people give me sweet treats. And you can hear more hot takes like this if you watch Screen Junkies' brand new Ted Lasso Honest trailer. I didn't mean to do. You're making it sound like I was like a purposeful tie-in, but I, I know I just show. was. Now I'm just being an asshole. We were just talking about Lasso. Let's talk about some other Emmy stuff. Yes. MJ Rodriguez of Pose. You watch Pose? I don't watch Pose. I haven't, I haven't seen, seen Pose, Pose, but um, it looks super cool. <laughs> Thanks for joining two cis white dudes who have not seen Pose. <laughs> <laughs> Every week we're just going to, this is our new segment where we just apologize for not having gotten around to Pose yet. Yes. So I'm glad, I'm glad we got that out of the way. Mm-hmm. MJ Rodriguez, the first ever transgender performer nominated in a lead category for Pose. So congratulations. That's awesome. The just canceled Lovecraft Country is up for 18 Emmys. That's just weeks after HBO canceled it. Uh, some more records here. It's the first show in Emmy history to receive nominations for black actors in every eligible category. So that includes Jonathan Majors and Journey Smollett for the lead roles and Michael K. Williams and Anjanou Ellis for the supporting roles. I really love uh, Jonathan Majors. I mean, he was great in uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco. He's, he's, he's really good in that. Uh, that was an independent film from a few years ago. And uh, in uh, Five Bloods, he was really good. I, I really, he's uh, doing some fine work. So uh, very happy to see that. Yeah, great actor. And Misha Green has now been sharing even more. We talked last week about how she started to share some of her Lovecraft Country 2 unrealized thoughts. She's been sharing even more outlines and notes. She apparently had a whole, like, the episode-by-episode episode season breakdown. She had ideas for where it was going to go beyond that. When Lovecraft Country was first canceled... 
mm-hmm. it felt like, well, that's it. It's over. I feel like there's enough of a groundswell now. We may yet hear more news on this. I feel like HBO may already be reconsidering. Yeah. 18 Emmy nominations is a lot of Emmy nominations. Uh, so three former Quibi shows, Reno 911, Die Hart, that's the one with Kevin Hart, and Mapleworth Murders are now Emmy nominated. Quibi gets no credit because they're now Roku originals. So congratulations to Roku Channel on your first ever Emmy nominations. They were only on Roku for... But a Quibi. Yeah, they've only only a Quibi's uh, length. You know, shout out to uh, my pals in Reno 911. You can check me out. Oh, Hollywood Rudnick, close friends with the entire cast of Reno 911. I was on the show twice. I know. I'm just kidding. Way back in the day. Did you watch the Quibi Renos? Did you? I, I haven't seen the, uh, yeah. During the brief period when I had Quibi, when I was reviewing stuff for the newsletter, I, did, I had it and I watched them. They're very funny. It's basically just like, Reno 911 in sketch form because they could, you know, they only last a quibby. Yes. So it's not like a full episode. It's like a seven or eight minute, like quick hit mini Reno 911 story. It's almost the perfect format for them in a, in some way. Like That sounds like a perfect tasty morsel. It's a perfect more. Yeah. It turns out the proper length for a Reno 911 episode may have been a quibby. Who, who oh knew? Oh my goodness. Who knew? Don Cheadle, a surprise nominee for his brief cameo under three minutes in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Remember, he was in the pilot very briefly talking to Anthony Mackie in the museum. He's like, yeah, I'll just uh, show up for a paycheck. And now he's like, oh, maybe I'll just show up for Emmy Gold. Boom. You looking for this? I mean, was that nom-worthy? I mean, I feel like they wanted to give some some uh, observation of how it was. A lot of people are bringing up that there were other great supporting performances in that show. Carl Lumley. Yes. Daniel Bruhl. Uh, other people who could have been nominated. But it is worth pointing out, this is just guest actor. Those would have been supporting performances okay. in a different category. It's specifically because he's not in very much that he's eligible in this category. I just thought it's more of like, it's cool that Don Cheadle showed up as opposed to it's such a great performance. Not to take anything away. I mean, Don Cheadle, an amazing actor. I'm a huge fan. We all love the Cheadle. Yeah, we all love Space Jam, a new Space legacy. Jam 2 star Don Cheadle, yeah. Don Cheadle is, like, just awesome. We talked about him uh, last week or the week we before. We talked about No, and, sudden, uh, no move. sudden Move. But, yeah, this is a little bit like, really? The, there was nobody else who was did a great guest turn any this limited year. series or whatever. Who, so they gave so much observation to Wandavision. I feel like they wanted to give a little something to to Falcon and Winter Soldier as well. Come on, let's give Disney and the MCU a little something. They haven't gotten. You got to feel badly for those guys. They're, yeah, they got to give struggling. a little something to Disney. Yeah. Uh, what? A few more little. Uh, one more Emmy note. This is. This will be the last one. Check out the lead actress in a limited series category. Here okay. are your nominees. Kate Winslet for Mayor of Easttown. Yes. Anya Taylor-Joy for The Queen's Gambit. Elizabeth Olsen for WandaVision. Michaela Cole for I May Destroy You. Cynthia Erivo for Genius colon Aretha. It's maybe the most stacked category I've ever seen. That is, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because uh, I thought the category for Best Limited Series was super stacked. Well, right. All, all of these same, you know, like shows that everybody loved were all limited series eligible in this last year. But I just think those first three that I listed, I thought both Cynthia Erivo and Michaela Cole, these respective shows were amazing. I don't want to take anything away from them. But those first three, I feel like were the three most popular TV performances of the last oh, year. Oh, absolutely. And they're all going head to head. Kate Winslet, Anya Taylor-Joy, Elizabeth Olsen, maybe no three more. It may if you throw Gene Smart in there, that's it. That's Those are the performances everybody was talking about. Yeah, but don't downplay, uh, you know, Michaela Cole and uh, Cynthia Erivo because Michaela Cole's uh, I May Destroy You is kind of like this low-key, one of the, not low-key, low-key favorite and darling of many this year. Right. I feel like Genius Aretha's may be the the least seen of all five of the, I thought it was very good. Uh, Shout out to Malcolm Barrett, uh, who who shows up in there, my pal. Uh, Mm -hmm. See? We both nice. we both can do that. You see, oh. you see, you see how that works out. Long, You're not the you, only look one. Look at you rubbing it, hobnobbing. Not the only one dropping names left and right. And then you know Cynthia Erivo, uh, Oscar nominee as well, previously for Harriet. So um, she's very close to an EGOT. I mean, as far as being nominated. No, I mean I think she has. She's she's two or three awards. Clo- she's almost there. Really? Yeah, Cynthia. Oh. 
Good for her. I'm going to look this up now. I think she she's either there or she's almost there. Oh, and she was like the best reason to watch The Outsider. Her character on The Outsider, which was a mixed kind of show, but um, her character was delightfully weird. Yeah, Cyn- Cynthia Erivo has a Grammy, a Tony, and an Emmy. So she's what? just the O. She's just Holy the O. Holy shit, Cynthia Erivo. I think we're what we're learning here today is don't sleep on Cynthia Erivo. But the limited series category, just to you know, piggyback everything you're saying, WandaVision, Mayor of Easttown, I May Destroy You, The Underground Railroad, uh, The Queen's Gambit. I mean, that's a murderer's row of shows right there. Oh, yeah. So that's all the Emmy news. The show is going to uh, stream on Paramount Plus and air on CBS on September 19th. Did you hear who's hosting? Did I? Um, I'll just tell you. It's not a bad choice. It's just a, it's a random choice. It's not a choice I saw coming. Peyton Manning. No, it is not. It is Cedric the Entertainer. And it makes oh. sense because he's on that, that CBS comedy, The Neighborhood. Yes. But he's not one of the names that comes up when they're like, who? He wouldn't have come to mind. But when they say it, you're like, oh, of course. Why wouldn't Cedric the Entertainer host? He's an entertainer. It's right there in his name. He exactly is. Well, yes, he's an entertainer. And he's one of the original kings of comedy. He is. There were there were four. And he mm-hmm. is one of those four. Uh, and it was, it was Cedric. It was Steve Harvey. Bernie Mac. It was. Dale Hughley. It was. Those were the four. Yeah. Uh, that that's a damn funny uh, concert film. Directed by Spike Lee. Oh, I forgot that. Yeah. That's awesome. Lon, what else we got? According to a report in Bloomberg, Netflix is planning to add video games to its platform. Okay. This is old man brain. Like I like I'm I'm happy to give you young viewers insight into what it's like for technology to pass you by and you to get old. <laughs> My first thought when I hear this is how does the controller work? Like, how do you play video games on Netflix? What is your remote control? How does Netflix in your TV know how your controller wants Mario I mean, to move? Do you play it like that Black Mirror episode? Please picture me, like, in a rocking chair, like, really ruminating on this. Like, where with your salt and pepper beard. With my salt, no, but at this point, it's full gray. Yeah. Where does the controller send the information about where I want Mega Man to jump um <laughs> this report was in bloomberg but they're already down the field they hired a guy a former ea executive mike verdu he's going to be mm. their vice president of game development uh, this i thought was interesting too the bloomberg article is implying you won't need to pay any extra it won't be like netflix is okay. 12 bucks a month but netflix plus games is 20 bucks a month they're just going to give it to you. They're starting to notice that in a lot of markets, they're saturated, like the U.S. Yeah. There's just like everybody who watches any TV or movies at all basically has Netflix. If you're not a, yes. like, if you're not living in a cave, if you're not atop a mountain, if you're not in somewhere like you live on a farm and you don't have a TV or a computer in your home – Everybody's got Netflix. I think there are even some Sherpas out there that have Netflix. Yeah, they're well on their phone. Absolutely. I'm sure yeah. there are. So uh, if you're a Sherpa and you're listening to Binge Boys, hit us up. Hell anyway, yeah. We'll uh, shout you out. So, so what they're, they're coming up with is, well, maybe there are people who don't give a shit about movies or TV shows, but would get Netflix just for games. Mm. So we're pushing into new areas and it's going to be – we're thinking it's a mixture of licensed titles and original. So there'll be games you can only play on Netflix, but then there'll also be games that are on Steam or on Nintendo or on your computer that you can play on Netflix as well. Are there going to be like Making a Murderer, the video game, where you try I'm to get sure. Brendan Dassey out of jail so he can make it to WrestleMania? <laughs> I think it should be you're trying to prosecute Brendan Dassey. You could play as either. Oh, there you go. You pick if you want to prosecute or the defense. Yeah, you would, like I could play against you. I love this. Yeah, I mean, I feel like true crime, maybe not right away, would be the first area I would go to. But I mean, they, they've already had like casual games based on stuff like Stranger Things. I think that obviously mm-hmm. and stuff like The Witcher that already there. It's already a video game series, like a. Netflix casual game or mobile game sort of version of The Witcher. Like, that kind of stuff makes obvious sense. Your Umbrella Academies, your Lock and Keys. Yes. If NBA Jam is on there, I'll be happy. Yeah, I mean, right. Like, the sky's the limit. Who knows what kind of games they're going to license? They've got deep pockets. It could be all sorts of stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. HBO ordered a series from A24, uh, everybody's favorite uh, little... Prestige film distributor, yes. Boutique studio, uh, based on the Viet Thanh Nguyen novel The Sympathizer. 
It's about a half-French, half-Vietnamese man who works as a communist spy during the Vietnam War and then later moves to the U.S. Robert Downey Jr. and his wife, Susan Downey, they're executive producing. Robert Downey Jr. is going to take a supporting role. They're looking around the world right now for a guy to star in the lead role in this thing. Uh, But here's what I thought was really interesting. Park Chan-wook, the guy who directed Old Boy and Stoker and The Handmaiden and Thirst Mm -hmm. and a lot of cool movies, Mm -hmm. he's directing, like, the whole series. That lead kind of got buried in a lot of the articles about it. But, like, that's a TV series from the Old Boy director itself. Even if Robert Downey Jr. and the book, I won a Pulitzer Prize, I think, even if that wasn't involved, just Park Chan-wook doing a TV show for HBO would be a big story. Yeah, Old Boy is a mesmerizing film. Uh, Loki wrapped up on Wednesday. Are you all caught up on Loki? Did you watch the last Loki? Did I spoil it for you earlier in the show? Uh, yes. You spoiled it. <laughs> oh, really? You haven't watched it well, You didn't mention it, but I was kind of put two and two together. Like you said, okay, let's not say what Jonathan Majors, but that's the... I'm sorry. I didn't, okay. I didn't mean to. I, I, you, we caught it on tape that I spoiled Loki for Hal. I, I, I assume Maybe you we're spoiling it, it for. I mean, it's just a guest appearance. You're not saying what he did. No hard feelings on, on this end. Listen, it's not as bad as when I tweeted out going to see Batman v Superman and someone tweeted at me, Superman dies. And then, same thing, I tweeted going to see The Force Awakens and someone tweeted at me an image of the lightsaber going through Harrison Ford. So this was not as bad. Keep up with shows we're both watching, you stupid Yeah, I'm a big boy, for God's sakes. It's not your fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. Uh, so Loki wrapped up on Wednesday a big character introduction. I'm not going to say who it was. And <laughs> the surprise revelation, but this one I'm going to spoil for you just because it's news. There's going to be a season two of Loki. We're getting okay. a season two. It's a they, they reveal it in a mid-credit scene, but it's not a scene. You just see Loki will be back for season two. So that's confirmed. We know that this finale leads in in some way to 2022's Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Mm-hmm. Presumably, the next season of Loki would follow whatever happens in that movie. Nice. And Michael Waldron, who wrote the finale of Loki, also wrote that movie. So it's all kind of interacting in that way. Real quick off the top of your head, would you rank from um, best to worst the MCU Disney Plus shows? I am in a minority here. I think Loki is the best. I did not really care very much for the Loki finale. We don't have to discuss that today. We can wait till next time when you've caught up. I still think overall that show is my favorite out of the three. Mm -hmm. I liked Falcon and Winter Soldier. I would put that in second place. I think across all three, personally, of these shows, they kind of fumbled at the very end. I don't think any of them ended particularly well. I think Mm -hmm. they all kind of suffered from the same problem, which is this need to resolve themselves and be self-contained while also leading into these big movies. And I think they all kind of, in a way, they don't end the way that is satisfying for the show. They end in the way they have to in order to tee up the movies. So I think it's a problem that runs across all of them. I think it was uh, also a problem for Falcon and Winter Soldier, but I did like, especially in the middle, when that was kind of a globe-trotting adventure, I liked how they refigured Baron Zemo, and I thought it was provocative. It was interesting in, in a way that the Marvel Universe isn't always in a sort of social and political way. And yeah. WandaVision, I just, it felt like a bunch of interesting ideas, and I liked Catherine Hahn, but it really never came together for me. So I would put that in, in third place. Gotcha. I would flip-flop two and three uh, just because I, I would put WandaVision ahead of Falcon and Winter Soldier because even though I liked Falcon and Winter Soldier, even though I really liked the uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus and what looks like it's going to be the dark take on the Avengers and uh, John Walker, and um, he's going to be... Well, he's what, the U.S. Patriot, I think? Yeah, U.S. Patriot or something. Or, I don't know. There, there's a character name, but the, he, his, yeah, his but name is John. John Walker. Yeah, but uh, I, I like that darker, uh, more sinister uh, sort of... Um, a U.S. agent. U.S. US agent. Um, The boys kind of flavor of it. And I like the relationship between Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie. But it was kind of like, oh, this is kind of par for the course Marvel. I really dug that uh, WandaVision tried something, and I think it succeeded more than it failed. So that's just me. Second review. Snuck in a review in the news. How dare you. Amazon picked up the rights to a whole slate of classic TV comedies from producer Norman Lear. This is huge because so many of these are, I mean, 
maybe I'm going to sound like uh, the, the old guy now, like you were talking about, but I think these sitcoms are some of the most didactic, interesting, funny shows that we've ever seen. So, uh, yeah, so some of them are going to Amazon, some of them are going to IMDb, but it's only one, you, you go to one or the other. They're not mm-hmm. sharing any of the shows. So the first batch arrives this week. By the time this podcast goes up, you can watch... 227 and Different Strokes on Prime Video. When I was and a kid, I loved Different Strokes. Uh, I did too. 227 and Different Strokes, honestly. When I was a kid, I watched both. I watched 227, and I feel like Marla Gibbs, the star of 227, and previously the Jeffersons, is one of the most underrated, like just, you know, TV queens. Yeah. Jack A also broke yes, out on 227. Classic, it's- classic Jack A. <laughs> This does not exist anymore because there's so many TV shows and everybody yes. watches different stuff. And so even big popular things like Bridgerton or whatever, not everybody knows. it. But in the 227 era, when Jack Hay became like a pop culture thing, literally everybody knew who she was. It was like mm-hmm. universal. Like, like it, it, that world is just gone now. There's no – there's nothing that becomes briefly that popular and then, you know, goes away. Yep. So that 227 at Different Strokes are going up to Prime Video while All in the Family, Good Times, Maud, and One Day at a Time, they're going to IMDb TV. And then later on this year, the Jeffersons and Sanford and Son are going to come to Prime Video. So good. Sherman Hemsley, Red Fox. Ugh, just those are so good, those shows. All terrific shows. Uh, All in the Family and Maud, the full collections have never been streaming before. So if you've never seen those shows, now they are up on IMDb TV. You can go through the whole thing for the first time ever. Maud, notably, uh, you know, Golden Girls has gotten such a new wave of appreciation. It's like almost an internet joke to that everybody loves Golden Girls. Mm-hmm. Arguably the the superior B. Arthur sitcom, Maud, has not gotten the same the same retroactive love. Yeah, it might just be because it was from like a previous era, like, you know, the, the but 70s also, versus it, 80s, 90s. Interestingly relevant, like Maude, the whole joke of the show is like Maude was super woke. She was like this strident feminist in this world that was not quite ready for that kind of outspoken feminism. That's side of the core bit of the whole show. Yeah, didn't she have an abortion on one That's a, There's one very memorable episode about Maud having an abortion. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Norman Lear, by the way, the, the creator, producer of all these shows, mm-hmm. still with us, turns 99 on July 27th of this year. Uh, and did a little tweet today uh, encouraging everybody to go back and watch all of his classic Very shows. Very cool. Yeah, he was honored at, uh, was it the, the either the Golden Globes or the last Emmys? Yeah, well, I think it was yeah. the Emmys last year. A national treasure, Norman Lear. Indeed. Last news story, Amazon canceled its big plans for a Tiger King series that was going to star Nicolas Cage. This one was the American Vandal showrunner Dan Lagana's new show. Uh, It was based on a Texas Monthly article. Now, there is still a Joe Exotic scripted series in the works. That one's going to go on Peacock. John Cameron Mitchell plays that Joe Exotic Kate McKinnon will be Carol Baskin in that one. And just this week, they cast Kyle McLaughlin as Howard Baskin, Carol's husband. Uh-huh. Uh, so that one's still in the works, but not the one from Amazon. The, the Nicolas Cage one is is done. You know, it's fun to watch Nicolas Cage do uh, pretty much anything. And that would have been uh, that would have been a nice time. But you know what? If you're sad about that, go watch uh, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. Yeah, there's a lot of great... <laughs> maniacal cage out there. There was this moment during the pandemic where stuff was breaking out, becoming popular, and Hollywood was just scrambling. Like, nobody knew what was going to happen. Nobody knew how long this was going to last or what, how much they needed to develop. And so a lot of projects got, like, snatched up and put in the works then that you look back now and you're like, obviously we don't need two competing Tiger King shows. Like, nobody, already nobody really cares. I feel like even the Peacock show is going to be kind of a hard sell. That's sort of over. Like, when was the last time you heard anybody talk about Tiger King other than in the context of these shows? I mean, he was uh, upset because Trump didn't pardon him. That was already forever ago. That was when Trump was still president. Yeah. Well, you know, it was this year. And he's in the news today, actually. (laughs) What happened today? Uh, he's getting resentenced because uh, he, the the hit he took out on Carol Baskin, um, th- he was charged with two potential 
uh, hits because he hired two different hitmen, but it was mm-hmm. for the same crime. So the sentence, they over-sentenced him or something. <laughs> I so I, I believe you that he's being resentenced. I'm not sure I believe you that that's the reason that sounds. Like, obviously they would have worked that out at the original sentencing. No, he was being... They, were like, they just realized, like, oh, shit, we messed up. Bro, you sentenced him for two different crimes. They were like, that's not how it works. He had an attorney the first time who would have been like, wait. Lon, you're right. The American justice system never messes up, Lon. <laughs> All right, I don't know if I believe you. But anyway, that's, uh, that's okay. the news, Hal. Thank you, Lon. Coming up, we're going to talk about Monsters at Work on Disney+. Plus. the fuck out of shit. Lon, Jake and... Is it Jake and Sully? No, not... Is it? <laughs> no. A Sully. Yeah, one more guess. Sully, you're right about Sully. Who's the other guy? He's Smalley's Mike green. And Sully. Mike. Mike, Mike Wazowski. Sully. It's a big It's a big bit. Who's Jake Sully? Jake Sully's from Avatar. That's, yes, Jake That's Sully's the lead on, character from Avatar. <laughs> so Jake Sully is um, in his Avatar. Meanwhile, Mike and Sully There you are, go. They have taken over the Monsters, Inc., and they are running the show, and they've traded in the scares for laughs. You can see it on Disney+. Plus. It's the first Pixar series in history. It's the first TV series from Pixar ever, the first real big Pixar contribution to Disney+, Plus. aside from, you know, the movies they thought were going to open in theaters. That's kind of a shocker. That's a little bit of a shock, but I buy it. I buy it. <laughs> you buy it? I like how... Usually there would be like an episode explaining how these two guys who were just working on the factory floor are now running the company. They do it in one like two minute scene where it's just like, you guys are in charge. I'm leaving. That's literally all that happens. They're like, I guess we're in charge. I was like, that's efficient storytelling. No, no, no resistance to this. They're in charge, but they're still they're still actually at work. They're not just running it from behind the desk. In case you thought in case you thought the title was a misnomer, they really are monsters at work. Well there are everyone in the show is a monster. And they're all working diligently. But the two head monsters are out there plying their trade. That's true. You're right. They're not just hiding in the in the, the conference room. They're in the mix, getting their getting their hands dirty, monstering full time. You know, I didn't love this show. I agree. It it is fun to be back in the Monsters, Inc. universe. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's fun to hear Billy Crystal and John Goodman. And this is it's a huge cast. There's Jennifer Tilly, Bonnie Hunt pops up there. Mindy Kaling. Uh, There's a lot a lot of funny people, an entertaining trifle, but it does Mm -hmm. not add up to much of anything at all. I agree. Yeah. Like, first off, I prefer the, the scary monsters. Like, I, I think they should still be scaring. So you would like them to retcon the end of the film Monsters, Inc.? I mean... Because that is the whole point of Monsters, Inc., is you can get... They can get better energy out of delighting children than terrifying, traumatizing them. Right. You but, you feel like, no, that was the wrong ending. They're not funny, should, though. They're, they're, they're not... I, I know. I agree with your overall point. I feel like... Like, I've, I watched two episodes of the three that are up, and, like, I didn't laugh once. <laughs> uh, I do agree with your overall take that I, I, I don't know what you do about this, but the ending of Monsters, Inc., where they're going to make kids laugh, it does kind of paint you into a corner. Because, as we all know, like, movies and TV shows about stand-up comedians, they usually don't work. It's hard to depict stand-up comedy in a way that feels fresh and relevant in a scripted format. We know that what we're watching is not real stand-up comedy. We, you know, like, it, it's just, it's it's hard to make that work. And I feel like this almost suffers from the same thing, where it's like, well, now you're putting yourself in a corner of the stories about how hilarious all your characters are, and it's just a hard thing to live up to week to week. Yeah, and I feel like the show skews a little younger. Like, some Pixar, it's like, oh, okay, like Soul... Uh, soul, I think, is kind of in all ages. Whereas this yeah. one, it just this one felt like okay, uh, the, yeah. The, when I guess the the, the kids are going to like looking at all the weird shaped monsters. It is worth noting. I feel like even Monsters University, the prequel that they did later, yes. even that one was already like skewed a little bit more grown up. The mm-hmm. original Monsters Inc. is 
for younger, you know, like it's it's one of the Pixar movies that crossed over and charmed adults, but yes. was intended for a younger audience. Pixar kind of aged up over the years. Like they know that their audience is everybody now. I felt that like they were working on a higher level with, with the movie. I don't know. It just felt like... I, I don't feel compelled by any of the characters or anything happening. I think I think what you said, the fact that like, oh, um, Mike and Sully just come in and they're given the top job, like everything's just happening too easy. It falls together. There's not enough to really care about. It's, I don't feel yeah, the desperation. It's, it's just, it's odd for Pixar that it is such a conventional like workplace comedy format where it's just like episodic, like here's what we got to work on and it doesn't feel like it has any, I don't expect all, like, I'm not expecting Luca week to week, but, like, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like it has any of the things that resonate about Pixar. It's really just kind of like, here's a cartoon show about these wacky monsters. I didn't feel like it was terrible. I feel like we're really dumping on it. I also thought the animation for a TV show looks really good. Like It does. It almost looks like the first Monsters, Inc. movie. At this point, you know, I feel like if you put Monsters, Inc. in this show side by side, they're fairly, fairly similar. Just compared to... I don't know, other animated shows that I've watched recently, like, you know, MODOK or whatever. I'm not as compelled to just like, oh, Ugh. I'm in. I like this better than MODOK. Oh, I, I'm a MODOK boy. Ugh. I didn't like MODOK. <laughs> the characters, the monsters, they all switch so seamlessly into like, oh, now we have to make kids laugh. I think there should be one holdout monster who is like, I miss the good old days and I'm going to keep scaring. Right. A monster named uh, Grabo. I'm Grabo, and I used to love going into kids' bedrooms and scaring them so much they shit their beds. I feel like that a little bit of a red flag because the idea was not to. They weren't getting off on scaring. They were. It was for energy. They needed. I love they were, it. This was how I they get powered their city. Job. I get off on the scares. Yeah. See, I feel I'm like Grabo. Even even in the old days, they probably would have been like, that's not optimal. We don't want somebody who's just like, you know, like you wouldn't want somebody working at your accounting firm who is like aroused by the numbers. You just want somebody who's going to be professional about it. I mean, if they're a good accountant, I don't care if they go into the stall and have a J.O. I think you would. I, I don't I think that is suboptimal for an accountant. I feel like you I, I differ with you on this point. Listen, stay out of that accountant's bedroom Lon. But no, it's I'm saying at work. Well, if he doesn't get caught, if the stalls close and no, I don't hear I, like. No, there's no, I don't. Not happy. I'm not happy about where any of this is going. Was that a good masturbation noise? That was gross. It's really horrible. That was the sa- I was I was a f- I'm a foley artist in You know training what? We discovered I think the real lesson of this episode of not just monster work is binge boys, the real monster is you. The rich it's you. Man. Is it- the the real monster man. We've talked about that many times. Yeah, man is the true the truest monster of all. And specifically you, Hal Rudnick. Yes, I am a monster because I made a weird masturbating noise because we were talking about it. Even a- after I made a face and it was clear that I found it repulsive. Oh, did you want me to do it again? No. Quite the opposite. Well, that one, yeah. You were doing a grosser one before. Yeah, I want one monster who's like, all right, yeah, I'll go make him laugh. Sure, boss, sure. And then he goes through that magic door and it's like, yeah, welcome to hell, motherfucker. And then the kid diarrhea's the bed. Again, yeah. again, pooping the bed. Pooping the bed has now come up a few times, specifically. Okay, Th- then, then that does like, not oh, help power so Monster sorry, City. Boss. Monsteropolis does not. Boss. It doesn't, it doesn't, they don't get any extra juice if you shit the bed. Listen, Mike, Sully, it'll never happen again. I'll go make them giggle. Don't you worry. Now, excuse me as I go through the door. Welcome to hell, motherfucker. Piss. They pissed the bed. This is the Monsters, Inc. factory, but in Ralph Bakshi's cool world. This would be, if instead of Pixar... If 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 Monster Factory was in Ralph Bakshi's Cool World, if this would uh, it would be monsters from Queens. They'd all be smoking cigars. They'd have little right. bowler hats. They'd be like, uh-huh. "I'm gonna make this kid piss to bed." I think 
the energy in Monsterland or whatever the fuck the name of their Monsteropolis, is. I think. Monsteropolis. Am I clever or is that what it's really called? I bet it's uh, Monsteropolis. I don't know. Monsterville. Monst- uh, I think it's Monsteropolis. Okay. It's uh, you know what twist? It's Zootopia. Who saw that? <laughs> I'm looking it up. You keep talking. It is. It's Monstropolis. Monstropolis. That's that's Very the good. metropolitan area in Monsters Inc. Instead of being powered by either laughter or fear, I think it should be powered by pisses and shits. <laughs> that, that would be. That is exactly <laughs> Ralph Bakshi's Monsters Inc. That's exactly what it would be. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you, Lon. It, it looks good. Maybe I just expected more. Maybe I just wanted more. I think you more. maybe had your expectations a little high. This was yeah. pretty much what I thought it was going to be. It, it, listen, it's fine. I don't even – you know how it's there's sometimes there are, there are cartoon shows for kids, but there's still – like there's enough there where you're like, you know what? I could kind of see myself watching this. Like uh, DuckTales, the rebooted DuckTales. Mm. Was a version. I really enjoyed the new DuckTales. Like I watched those episodes just for fun. I don't even think this quite makes it to that level. Like this isn't even on an Adventure Time where I feel like an adult would really treat this as appointment view. It feels more like a kids show. Yeah. So Monsters at Work. It's on Disney Plus. There are three episodes up now, and yeah, it feels like a workplace sitcom, like you said, and uh, like there is an A storyline and a B storyline. Yeah, it's and that very, kind of stuff. very much what you'd expect, like a comedy set at the factory from Monstropolis. You feel free to give it a watch and judge for yourself. You should always feel free to give anything we talk about a watch. We're we're not the police. You can watch whatever you like. But we might call the police. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to call the police on you if you keep making masturbation sound effects. <laughs> uh, coming up, The White Lotus on HBO, HBO Max. I want to use this as an opportunity, Lon, to mm-hmm. shill for Mike White's uh, Enlightened yet again. We have shilled for this before, but I'll shill for it one more time. It's a terrific show. It is. Laura Dern. This was really, I feel like this was the start of when everybody woke up to, has Laura Dern been amazing all along and we just weren't giving Laura Dern enough credit? I feel like Enlightened was really when that movement sort of, you know, got much more attention. Totally. And, you know, there are certain shows that really give you a delightful sense of cringe, you know? Like, uh, I feel like, you know, certain episodes, a lot of characters on The Office do that well. But Enlightened, it's the crown jewel of cringe. Like, the way her character, it's like, and you're like, no, don't, what do you do? I mean, it is so well done, so good. And it was like a comet, like a burning comet bright in the sky, lasted for two seasons, and alas, no more. And uh, Mike White is back, the creator of Enlightened, with The White Lotus on HBO, HBO Max. If you haven't watched Enlightened, I will take this time to say watch that. White Lotus, mm-hmm. you know, one episode in, I'm okay with it. I'll probably watch the second episode. But none of the characters were really compelling enough to like grab me by the short hairs and say, you got to keep watching this. I think you're terribly wrong. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I loved it. I thought it was mm-hmm. great. I think it feels, it's classic Mike White. It is, it's it's obvious that I, I think enlightened, there was social commentary, there were satirical elements, but it was very much a personal story about Laura Dern's character. It was like psychologically about what she was going through, her trauma, how she was dealing with all of these publicly and privately. Uh, I think this is much more of a just a sort of social satire about class and about the collision of all of these different people in these different sort of places in their life. I thought it was really impressive. I thought it was really interestingly put together. It's setting it's setting the stage for a lot, I'm sure, to come uh, that we have, you know, sort of not even sure where all of this is going. But I thought a lot of interesting characters. I thought Jennifer Coolidge, obviously a, a standout. Uh, in the first episode, she's really, really funny. I'm looking up the cast right mm-hmm. now. I should have. Steve Zahn, Connie uh, Britton. I like Steve Zahn a lot. Uh, who else? Oh, Murray Bartlett, who plays Armand, the sort of head of yes. head of entertainment at the resort. He's the one who's interfacing with all the guests, kind of managing the staff. He's amazing. Very funny performance from him. Uh, Sydney Sweeney's really good as kind of this rich girl, sort of very judgmental, uh, who's on vacation. uh, From Euphoria. From Euphoria. She's on their vacation with her mom, who's Connie Britton, and her dad, who's Steve Zahn. 
I, I thought just like they're setting so much up that was so interesting. And you got Jake Lacey and Alexandra Daddario are mm-hmm. there as a, as a sort of a couple on her honeymoon. He's a lot uh, wealthier than she is. It's also very interesting. I'm going to mention this because it's the beginning of the first episode. So it's not – I don't feel like this is a spoiler. Sure. Uh, the opening scene – now, we don't get final confirmation. Jake Lacey is is there and we know he's one half of this couple that's there on a honeymoon. Mm-hmm. And he is telling this other couple – they're waiting for their plane home from Hawaii – that there is a body from the resort being loaded into the plane. We even see the box with the body being loaded on the plane. Yes. Now, we are left to presume because she's not with him and the couple even asked, where's your wife? They want us to uh, presume that Alexandra Daddario is in the box, that the, his, his bride is the dead body. But it's not – they very savvily don't actually confirm that. She could just be not with him at the airport and that's somebody mm-hmm. else. Maybe she killed whoever's in the box. Yeah, I, I wonder if that's a, a, a misdirect. I felt uh, like it was a very clever thing because I went for it too. I was like, it's interesting they would – and even if it is, it's interesting they would give away at the very beginning of the show that, one, there's a death because I don't think I would have assumed at the end of this episode – Otherwise, that somebody was going to die by the end. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's interesting, too, that they seem to want you to think that it's one character when I I believe maybe it won't. Or maybe they will misdirect us a few more times and it will end up being her. Who knows? Yeah. Now that you talk about it, I mean, uh, I... Realize you were wrong. Yeah, I mean, the show's a slow burn. (laughs) And I feel like I wasn't, I will give myself, uh, I'm going to give myself, uh, you know, over to the the notion that it. it, I would say another week or two before you make a final decision. I would also say, to your point, mm -hmm. Mike White stuff, it's funny. These are comedies, but they're not, they're not laugh out loud. It's not, I think you should leave. It's not, it's not a straight up sitcom. It's a satirical thing. It's very dryly funny. So there are – I think there are a few moments that are laugh out loud funny. But it's not that kind of a comedy. It's almost yeah. like a comedy drama I would say. To, to what you're saying, I like a lot of the actors in it. I like Mike White. And I even like the tone that you're talking about of that kind of comedy. I just felt – you know, maybe the thing is it didn't feel as much like – you know, we talked about this earlier with uh, – when we were talking about Ted Lasso, the it didn't resonate as like, oh, is this how people talk? Is this how people behave? Would people actually talk and behave like this? But then again, it's a TV show, so it's larger than life, obviously. There is definitely some heightening to it to drive home kind of these observations about certain classes of people and when they how they interact with other people from other classes, which I think is what a lot of the where the comedy comes from, mm-hmm. he's not necessarily always writing a incredibly and entirely realistic world. Did you ever see Chuck and Buck? Yes, yes. That's a more extreme version of this than White Lotus. White Lotus is mm-hmm. in a more realistic world. But Chuck and Buck is about... I love uh, Chuck and Buck. I love Chuck and Buck. He's in it. And the, his, mm-hmm. the character is a creep in a way that is almost absurdist. Like a surrealistically over-the-top clingy weirdo from your past who shows up in his old friend's life. Yeah, kind of stalkery, a little bit of like, yeah. It's taking this thing that we've all experienced, which is a person that you have a connection to that makes you feel kind of bad and uncomfortable and you don't enjoy being around them, but you kind of feel bad for them. And it takes that, that feeling we've all had at least once in our lives and just explodes it and magnifies it and lives in it for 90 minutes. And so I feel like there's, in a way, he's doing that too. We've all experienced these collisions of class or moments when we interact with people who obviously have much, much more or much, much less than we do or are in a different sort of status or or place in society. And I think he's just taking those moments and then exploding them. Yeah, no, I think he's a really good uh, just a social commentary writer and like bringing that out in uh, people and I think that it's interesting what he's doing here, and I think I, I very well think this show could end up being something I I really enjoy. Well, I'm glad you've come to terms with being wrong. I'm open to that, but right now I didn't feel like there was one storyline where I was like, ah, I gotta, I want to find out what happens here. Maybe the body thing. Maybe that's what he's used. But like, you're not really rooting for anybody. Maybe Jennifer Coolidge, maybe the one woman who's the new employee. No one has a map to where 
treasure is buried at the resort. So how was like I can't connect with this. I can't if nobody's solving puzzles. How <laughs> how you know what what's the story? I mean, could couldn't someone on this Hawaiian island like wind up in a cave fighting zombies? I couldn't help but notice no one had amnesia and was being replaced by their evil cousin. And so it's like, why even make a show about this? Thank you for putting my thoughts into words. (laughs) Uh, No, but it's. It's a slow burn. The people are kind of unlikable by design. Yeah, no, everybody. I mean, I I wouldn't say that. I think there are a few characters who are mostly redeemable and they're there to be sort of our view in. Yes. Uh, Mostly from the the sort of like if it's upstairs, downstairs, like mostly from the downstairs part. Like the people Mm -hmm. who work at the resort behind the scenes, they're the more sympathetic ones than these these rich kind of self-involved narcissists who come to stay there. Absolutely. I, I, it's it's worth giving a chance. It's And it's in that HBO Sunday night prestige show slot. Right in that so, pocket. Fits right very neatly in that pocket. Yeah, I think it's worth it. I didn't like it uh, quite as much as Lon, but... Um, I can't, you can't always be right. Listen. Should we leave the uh, Steve Zahn... Uh, uh, I will, yeah, there is, it is worth surprise. noting. I don't think this is a spoiler. There is a full frontal male nudity in this. Uh, oh, yeah. Congratulations and, to Steve Zahn. I think that had to be a. Uh, Did you, do you think those were prosthetic uh, testes? Other no, I think it was uh, like a whole different actor. Oh, so you think those were human testicles? They just weren't Steve Zahn's. Yes, got it. I understand. Th- that is that is my guess. I will wait for the director's commentary. You would think whoever it was, Zahn or no Zahn, a little grooming might have been in order. <laughs> it was. It was. It was a. Uh, it, it was a wild forest down there. I mean, maybe by does it, maybe we that get, was like a folks, director's... I was not scrutinizing. It's a good look. Did you screen grab that and tweet it out? Well, I sent it to you. I didn't tweet oh, it to everybody. Gotcha. I just thought you would <laughs> want to see it. Um, came up, uh, I was watching it with my wife, and she was like, oh, no one wants to see that. Mate, well, I'm the guy. I'm the one guy who did. Yep. Yep. So uh, that is something to look forward to. All right, let's, uh, let's wrap it. I've hemmed and hawed enough. The White Lotus, HBO Max. Uh, maybe take it for a spin. Uh, something that I absolutely loved. I laughed so hard that it hurt my throat. Uh, I think you should leave season two. <laughs> you were on choking Netflix. on a hot dog at the time. It's worth noting. It's true. It's Hence true. The no, pain. I was. My chest hurt from laughing. What do you think is the the best season two uh, sketch? I mean, that haunted house. Wow, you're the first person. I I feel like everybody has different favorites this season, except everybody. I, I, so far, you're the first person I've spoken to who has not picked the number one uh, coffin flop. I thought for sure, coffin flop. Coffin flop is. Pretty fucking awesome. Corn Cob TV. Corn Cob TV, yeah. It's called Spectrum. Corn Cob TV is pretty great. <laughs> uh, but Do you think that they picked Spectrum and call out Spectrum? You got to figure the writing staff of I Think You Should Leave lives in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. We have Spectrum cable and internet here. It's yes. terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Their customer <laughs> service is terrible. Shots fired. Everyone in Los Angeles hates Spectrum cable and internet. Right. So the fact that they went after them specifically makes me feel like it was on purpose. That was I feel like that sketch is directly antagonistic because in the sketch they're like call like let Spectrum know you want Cork. They're they're telling their audience to harass Spectrum. A real company. Did you call Spectrum and tell no, them No, although definitely people have like CC'd me on tweets where they're actually including, I'm sure whoever runs social media for Spectrum hates that they're getting all of these tweets from I Think You Should Leave fans demanding that they keep coffin flop. Or maybe any publicity is good publicity. Yelling at them for calling Tim Robinson a dumb hick. (laughs) Which they said to him at an actual party. It's a dinner, Hal. They said that to me at a dinner. But, yeah, so for those who don't know, this is the second season of the Tim Robinson-led sketch show on Netflix. And, like, we just talked about Cringe with Enlightened. This show, it just nails so many weird, uncomfortable moments and then blows them out of the water. The heightening on these sketches is so much fun. It takes it to just places you don't want it to go, and then you realize you love that it went there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that so many of his formats are are the same, which is it's that 
thing where a person gets caught, everybody figures out what they're doing, what mm-hmm. they're trying to do, and that they're making a mistake, they're embarrassing themselves. And But instead of back down, they try to like talk their way out of it or talk their way through it or fake their way through it. It's such a relevant thing because obviously I don't want to get political folks – but like forward, we live in a time where a lot of politicians and public figures have taken like this was the Donald Trump strategy, the Matt Gates strategy, like all these guys is just like never admit defeat even after it's totally obvious, never apologize, never back down, just keep going and faking your way through it. And Tim Robinson just nails that on such a specific way, and it's every sketch comes back to it. But the other half of that, so so many of the sketches, that's kind of the the origin. Yeah. But then I have no idea. I've never seen another sketch show where it goes so outlandish. The ideas are so out there and just weird and conceptual Mm -hmm. and that it keeps it going. I I like the one example, my other aside from coffin flop favorite. And I promise we, I I do want to talk about a haunted house. Yeah. But uh, well, a haunted house is a good example of like, it doesn't just want to swear. He's got this very specific kind of swearing that he wants to do where he wants to ask about ghosts coming out of the walls and just jacking off yeah. and and spraying semen everywhere. Yes. And it's specific in that way that it's like, well, why is it so specific and like that? The other example I was going to give is Dan Flashes, where it's an entire sketch about a guy who's obsessed with a store that sells shirts with very complicated patterns. But the, the, the sketch goes far more specific than that. It's not just a sketch about the shirts have complicated patterns. It's that the more complicated the patterns are, the more the shirts cost. And he's very caught up with this idea that the that no, you have to understand that 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 shirt costs a thousand dollars, but that shirt's got a more complicated pattern, so it costs two thousand dollars because that's how they value the shirts. And so then you've accepted that, and then there's another level of it's a violent store where people are pummeling each other and throwing each other down the stairs to get at these expensive shirts. And it's like I've been writing comedy for a really long time. I have mm-hmm. no idea how you get there. Oh, and the the driving instructor with those videos. I don't oh want to spoil God. too much. Oh, my God. That's another great example of just oh. like it's you get what the original joke was, but it just goes to this crazy specific place. With weird sub jokes yeah. that, that they keep <sighs> heightening and then it's, exploring. And it's, it's like, like a miracle. thought? Why would someone do this? Why would someone think about it? And then they bring it to life. Yeah. And- <laughs> they, they, the fact that it comes together at the end and it actually makes sense. Like everything that they've established comes through and you're like, oh, that does explain it is insane to me. The co-stars on this show, like um, you, you have like some like murderer's row of like comedy folks and just like, just great. Funny, well, that's, yeah. Funny. Patty Harrison is amazing in Patty that. Patty Harrison is That wonderful. driver's ed one. She also did the, the Mike Diva directed uh, Capital Room uh, mm-hmm. where it's like a Shark Tank parody with her talking about how much she loves wine. Yes. Uh, and she made all of her money from being sewn into the pants of Charlie Brown at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day <laughs> yeah. Parade. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's amazing. Uh, Tim Heidecker is really Heidecker funny. Is His awesome. sketch is incredible. Yes, uh, so good. Uh, and one of my favorite uh, comedy writers and uh, dudes from the internet, Connor O'Malley. If uh, if you haven't checked so out good. Connor O'Malley's YouTube channel, and you you like to larf, <laughs> go to Connor O'Malley's YouTube channel, yeah. uh, and um, so freaking good. And he has one of my absolute favorite bits from this from this season, where he's the he's the CEO of Calico Cut Pants. Yes. <laughs> uh, oh, and, and and just talking about taking something so random, but doubling down and tripling yeah, down, exactly. and like I I I don't get what's happening, and then you go from that to I didn't expect. To fall in love with this fucking sketch and the commitment of the actors, especially yeah. Tim Robinson. Like he is so fun to watch. He is so weird. And he kind of does the same thing every sketch, but it's just, I can't turn away. The very first, I think you should leave sketch season one, the very first, whatever the mm-hmm. whole sketch is he's trying to, he's leaving a job interview and he's trying to go out the door and it's a door that you pull, but he's trying to push it. But rather than concede in front of the guy who just did the job interview that he got the door wrong, he pushes it. Even He breaks the door, 
pushing it through, but still pretending like he thinks this is how the door opens to not be embarrassed. And that's the format of all of the sketches to come. It's always like, we all know that I'm lying or that I messed up or that I've embarrassed myself, but I can't admit it. So I'm going to keep making even more of a grandiose ass of myself instead of just admitting this one silly thing that I did. I highly recommend. Uh, I I laughed from start to finish. I would say the first half of the season is a little stronger. Those are the ones that... Uh, I don't know. I... I... Because I, the, the last... The last episode has both the driver's ed one and I won't blow what the sketch is, Tammy Craps, another featuring another brilliant guest turn from Julia Butters, the girl from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh. Did you recognize her? The well, girl I did not. She's the girl who tells Leonardo DiCaprio that was the best acting I've ever seen in Once Whoa. Upon a Time in Hollywood. She's the Good girl eye. pitching Tammy Craps dolls. She's amazing. Damn. Very funny. Um, listen, uh, just just make sure you weigh sixty pounds. <laughs> don't yeah, don't put rocks in your pockets. But so just bangers. The like this. It's a That's, sketch. I think their secret too is episodes are only fifteen minutes, and so mm-hmm. there's no there's no filler. Every sketch is like the best sketch they had that day or that week or whatever. I don't know how they make the show. There's no sketches that are like ah, all right, we'll figure this out on the day. Everything is funny. Yeah, uh, can't recommend it enough. I think you should leave season two. Uh, watch both seasons. They're like 90 minutes per season. You can blow through these. I wish they were longer, but I'm glad that they're only going with the gold. Indeed. Lon, I think that's our show. That's our show. That's it. I want to uh, shout out hashtag Owl Nation. Uh, everyone loves Owl Nation. People can't stop talking about hashtag Owl Nation. They can. They can stop. Uh, I mean, it's it's everywhere you look. Um, hoot hoot, there's a little owl that lives in all of us. Where am I go hooligans there's at? There's two owls that live in all of us, and the one that grows is the one you feed. That's what they say. Just let the other one die on the vine. Thank you, Starburns Audio. Thank you to Travis Reeves, our super producer, holding it down. Jason Kay, thank you for kicking off the show with some rock and roll. And Lon Harris, tell them where they can find you. Find me on Twitter, at L-O-N-S. That's where I post everything that I'm working on. You can also check out the Inside Streaming newsletter. I write about all this stuff every day, five days a week. It's free. Uh, go to inside.com slash streaming to sign up for that. Thank you, Lon. And you can follow me at Hal Rudnick on Instagram and Twitter. And that's uh, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, 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 bitch